0: Our reading this morning is found in the, that loud? Okay, Marcia's eyes got real big, I thought maybe I was booming away. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to look into that verses 18 through 25, so if you brought a Bible with you, if you would read that, if not, there should be one in the pew in front of you, if you simply want to listen to the word of God, you can do that too. Matthew chapter 1, starting verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and Mary took, took him home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she had given birth to a son, and gave him the name Jesus Would you pray with me Father we can't imagine what it would be like to have been there everybody i guess they've made movies and radio shows about somehow going back in time and being at the the barn where Jesus was born but We really can't even fathom what it was to have untold angels proclaiming that he was born to the shepherds scared to death. And Mary and Joseph, when they came to worship, trying to figure out what it was all about, Mary just trying to ponder all these things in her heart to understand how she could give birth to Not just the Messiah, but the Savior of the world and somehow God in flesh. The little baby she was holding was God in the flesh. We've strayed so far from that of what Christmas is anymore, but this morning we want to just concentrate on you. Recognizing that somehow you knew the only way you could provide salvation for us was to come in the flesh and die on a cross, sinless for our sins. That we can praise you this morning in recognizing somehow even in a baby you were there. And in the life that you led, showing us everything we need to know about your character and your love for us. Just use your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning. It's great to see you all on this Lord's Day, this Christmas season. I was thinking of talking about how in view of the rain yesterday that Jesus is the living water, but in view of this light, might I say he is the light of the world. So if that light goes off again, just remember he is the light and he's the one that needs to fill our hearts. But it's good to see you. You know. when I prepare for messages, sometimes things change. I was working this last week on the Christmas message. That is for next week, the 24th. And I started working, and I says, you know, I think I need about two weeks. So things change. So the, the title originally for this week, it's, it's different. And so it's really going to be on the incarnation. And next week we'll do some other things as well. But uh, I am just always encouraged how the Lord leads. Uh, I know this happens with you as well you start doing with the Lord once and sometimes things change along the way, but we just trust in him. And so anyway, as you know, people have all kinds about the Christmas season and how to celebrate Christmas. And as you know, some people see Christmas as just another day, another holiday, or maybe a day off from work, and they see it in a secular way. They may see it as a time when they get a Christmas tree. They may see it as a time when their family gets together time when they go to some Christmas party or a time when they go out and, and see the Christmas lights. They might go to some uh, special meal and have Christmas food and Christmas type of cookies. And, and then they might go sing their, non, their secular, non-religious songs. And you all know what non-religious, secular, Christian songs are like. There are so many. You go out to the mall or you're on the radio. They're just on TV all the time. So there's the secular people. Then there's the religious people. They may see Christmas as a time to go to church, or if they're Catholic, they might go to midnight mass. Um, Maybe a time for them to sing Christmas carols. Maybe they got a little manger they set up with a baby Jesus in it. Or maybe they see this and you read this on the news or hear this, a time to reflect on peace in the world or the lack of peace in the world. And these type of people will do a lot of things I just mentioned in terms of secular people do. But as Christians... How are we to see it? Christians should view Christmas this way. We must know that the real reason for Christmas is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born into this world. And he became a man. He lived a perfect life, and then he died on the cross, and then he rose again from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven where he's at at this very present time. And he died to pay the penalty of our sins so as to satisfy god's justice with the result then that god could forgive sinners and give eternal life to all those who would believe in him believe in christ that indeed he is the messiah so the reason we celebrate christmas is not just to celebrate Jesus' birth is which is the way most people in the world think about it we want to celebrate christmas and i want to see it in view of the the totality of Christ's purpose, totality. What's the, the big reason, the, the entire reason he came to this earth? Many, many verses could be shared of this. I'm going to just share one quick and we'll talk more about this, why he came as we go on today and then next week too. But I like what John 10.10 10 says. He says, I came that you might have life and might have it to the full. That's, that's a great way to sum it up. Jesus came to give us life, spiritual life, true life, a relationship with him and the Father. Holy Spirit forever and ever and ever and so today and next week then I want to talk about the totality of this Christmas message and first, and this is the, one of the major themes of today, is the truth of the incarnation that Jesus was God and then became man, very simply Jesus was God and then he became man and when Jesus became man, he didn't stop being God, very important to understand that well he was God, now he's just man, no no, not at all Jesus was God, and he became man, and it wasn't just that he is now part God and part man. No, he is fully God and fully man, Colossians 1 and 2 said very simply. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ. And in Christ, meaning there, the person of Christ, Jesus Christ, both man as a man. All the fullness. Colossians 2, nine says about the same thing. In Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All the fullness of God dwells in a body. That, that's an amazing truth. That's, that's a great way to sum up the incarnation. Matthew one twenty three. Steve just read, read it again. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So what does this mean? Well, first it means, and there's a number of things I've got to say here about this. This is a major point. We're going to basically be connecting the truth of the Incarnation with the truth that Jesus is Emmanuel, okay? And Emmanuel, again, means God is with us. Mary gives birth to this child, and he's a son. And so he then, this son, is a human being, and he's male, and he is God. That is, Mary gave birth to this human being who is also God, so, this little baby that we know as Jesus, named Jesus, is then both God and man. Second thing is this this baby Jesus, who was both God and man, remained God and man. During his life on earth, his first 30 years, years of life, he was God and man, right? Then there's three ministry years, he was both God and man. When Jesus died on the cross. When he physically died on the cross, he didn't spiritually die. He physically died on the cross. He was both God and man. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he was both God and man. And now Jesus is in heaven, and he is both God and man. And what makes this personal that is relevant to each one of us individually, personally, is that when you are in heaven, you will see Jesus. And you will see him, and you will realize this is both God and man. It's, it's, it's just hard for us to understand. We, we're so used to seeing people all the time. Well, that's a person. That's a human being. That's an individual. Jesus Christ is completely different, both God and man. That's, that's who he is. Next, this word, Emmanuel, as I said before, means God is with us. And this is a powerful truth that God actually came down to this earth to live with man if you're a man, if you're a man, if you're a person, a woman, if you want to relate to, identify, communicate with the ant world, then you become an ant, right? Makes sense. That's logical. That's what happened with Jesus in a sense. He became man so he could be like us, and so he could live with us, so he could relate with us, so he could identify with us, so he could communicate with us. That's what he did, the incarnation, in its most basic sense, means that God became man so that he then could be with us. God became man so that he could be with us. That's then one of the central messages of, of, of Christmas. Jesus Christ is God. He became a man to live with humans, to live with people. And this is an eternal truth we'll talk about a little bit more later, not just that first century. Next, Jesus Emmanuel, and he is with us. He's with us. He loves us. He cares for us, and he wants to be with us. It's not a matter, well, okay, I'm man, I'm going to come visit this human race once in a while, come and visit them just a little bit here, now and then. No. He wants to be with us, and he wants to be with us all the time. You understand that? He wants to be with us all the time. Turn to John 14. You need to see this here. With us all the time. John 14 sixteen to eighteen tells us how he is now with us. It's through the Spirit. Verse sixteen, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. And the Spirit then is with us forever. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And you know what he was saying there? What he was saying is, I'm going to come to you through the Holy Spirit. So right now, Christ is with us through the Holy Spirit. In fact, we, we understand this truth, too, is that Christ is in us in a spiritual sense. Okay, that's that's the spiritual dimension during this church age here. Then we go back to John 14, the first few verses, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me and my Father's house and many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amazing. You see what I said before? He became a man so he could live with man, mankind, believers that is, and be with us forever and ever and ever now see the Holy Spirit. In the future, it will be in a personal, personal way. Hebrews 13.5 says this. The word says, I will never leave you nor will ever forsake you. And this is, is such an incredible and encouraging truth that Jesus is now with us through the Holy Spirit. And then in the future in heaven, we will actually see Jesus. We will physically see Jesus. We will physically be with him forever and ever. One of the most Touching verses for me is, is Job. Different versions had different New Americans pretty good. I like the NIV. Job chapter 19, 25 to 27. Job nineteen to twenty-five to twenty-seven is talking this this last point here about being with Jesus and seeing him. John Job nineteen twenty-five. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. So now we can say, I know that he lives, right? We believe that. As Christians, we believe that he lives. We believe that through the Spirit, he's in our heart. But then it says this. It says, at at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. That's predicting the future. He's going to come back and take his stand on this earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, all of us as people, our present skin will be destroyed. Dust to dust, that's what's going to happen. Yet from my flesh I shall see God, that is, from my new flesh, my glorified body. Then here's the, the feeling behind this. Whom I myself shall behold. I myself, you, individually, personally, I myself shall see him, and whom my eyes will see and not another, and my heart faints within me. You're touched. <laughs> think of this. I mean, do you ever think about that? you ever think about the first time you will see his face? That will happen. The first time you'll see his face and it won't be a one-time thing. It'll be forever and ever and ever. Wonderful, encouraging truth. Jesus is Emmanuel and he's with us through the Spirit now and he'll be with us forever and ever in a personal way. That's what's going to happen. Next point is this. Jesus became man and 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 is still God because he wanted to reveal God to mankind. Very important truth about this incarnation, this Emmanuel. Turn to the past, there was a trinity way back. No world, no stars, no universe. There's a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were in heaven, right? They had this plan way back. Turn to the past, this plan to create these people, these beings. We call them human beings. And to reveal themselves to us. And Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one of the three. He is the one who is to reveal God to mankind. That's what we're saying here. He's the one, okay? Hebrews 1.3, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. Let me say that again. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, exact representation of his nature, radiance, like the sun rays. You can't see the sun, but you can see the sun rays, right? You can't see God, but you can see the rays. You really can't separate the, the sun from the rays, right? They go together. Christ and God go together, so we see Jesus, we see God. That's what we're saying here. So when you see Jesus, you see the exact representation of his nature, his, his character, his holiness, his power, his goodness, his mercy, his sovereignty, all these things, and you see his purpose. see the person of God, and to see the purpose of God, purpose, purpose of God, many verses on this. John 1 29, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Luke 19 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so just like the sunlight reflects the sun, so Christ reflects God, his character and his attributes, the person of God, the wisdom of God, all these things I just mentioned. And so we say then, and this is important, Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature, the exact representation. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image, the image of the invisible God. Some people say, well, you can see God. No, you can't see God the Father. Won't ever be able to see God the Father. That's my understanding He's invisible, but we can see Christ, and Christ is God as well. So God's invisible, and Jesus is visible, and therefore Jesus can show us who God is and what he is like. That's what we're saying here. Vine's Dictionary defines image this way. The word involves the two ideas of representation and manifestation. So Jesus came to earth to represent God the Father. I'm still here, and I can still read, so we're good. He came to earth to represent God the Father. God wanted the world to know about himself. He wanted to communicate truth about himself and truth about his purpose. That's what God wanted the Son to do. So Jesus then was God's ambassador. That's what we have to understand. Jesus was God's ambassador, and Jesus then represented God on this earth, and perfectly so. Perfectly so. He never, ever, ever misrepresented God, but he represented him perfectly so. He told us exactly what the Father wanted him to know. This says in... Just give us a second. Back in the light. Thank you. <laughs> Let there be light. That's good. This simple verse in John 14, verse 8, I believe. Says he was seen, the Son has seen the Father. He who sees me sees the Father. And, and I, I'm sure that was a profound, that probably really got confused of those people listening to him back then. Whoa, 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 whoa. What does this mean? We understand. As Christians, we can now see the Father because we know the Son. We see the Son light. We can't actually see the surface body of the Son. So manifestation means to make visible or to cause to be seen. And by Jesus' words, by his teaching, by his actions, by his miracles, by what he said and by what he did then, Jesus then was manifesting. God was showing and making God visible, was revealing God to us, and perfectly so. I'm not saying completely. We don't know everything about God, but everything that God wanted us to know, we can know through Christ. That's that's what we're saying here. And so God wanted to be known. And he wanted to reveal himself to mankind. That's what he wanted to do. And yes, as you all, I think, know, he did it in a limited way through creation. Turn to Romans 1. We'll see this. We talk about how does God reveal himself to us. Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 20 states this truth. Romans 1, 19 says... Because that which is known about God is evident within them. This is every person, every, every believer, every unbeliever. It's evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that men then are without excuse. Every person alive has no excuse. No excuse. They ever think that there is no God, their minds have gone astray, as it further explains there in Romans. And so, what we understand then is that, that um, God wanted to be known and revealed himself. And the best way, the most important way, that God revealed himself was through his own son, Jesus Christ. That's what we understand. Turn to John chapter 1. I want you to see it here. Same t- truth is mentioned. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ there is spoken of as the Word. And why? Because of what we're saying right now. The Word, because He wants to communicate to us God through His words and through His life. So the Word is the idea of communication. Jesus Christ is the Word And he is God, and he's communicating the truths of God to this world. Then we continue on. We go down to verses 14 and then 18. John 1, 14. The Word became flesh, as we're talking about here at Christmas, and dwelt among us. That's the Emmanuel part. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So here is Jesus displaying God himself. His grace, his truth, his glory. God verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. He's invisible. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. I like how it says that Jesus Christ reveals God to us. He explains him. You see. If so you want to know about God, you learn about Christ and you think about the future that we have. That will be with Christ and, 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 you know, God, the Father's in heaven. And how that all works, I don't know. He's the Spirit. But we'll see Christ and everything we want to know about God, we'll be able to learn through the person of Jesus Christ. We continue. Jesus, as God and man, was rejected by most people in the world. If you're still in John, go to verses 9 to 11. John 1, 9 to 11, it tells us this. John 1, 9, there was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. That is, in general, I don't know how many this is, but in general, most of the Jewish people, the vast majority of people, rejected Christ. That's what we understand. And so we know that Jesus and the Son of God came into this world. He was born as a baby, and so he was the Son of Man. He was the son of man, so he was both God and man. And he grew up then, and we understand this. He grew up those 30 years, then he ministered to the people for three years, revealing himself to mankind, and he was rejected by most of the people. That's what we have to understand. And, and, and I say rejected. This is what I mean. People saw Jesus. They knew he's a man, but they didn't see him as God. That's the point. They rejected him. They saw him as a man. They knew these from Nazareth. They might have known his parents. They might have even known some of his brothers or sisters. All these things they knew. They got hungry and tired that he slept. They knew all these things. But they rejected him. And and and, and the point is this is that here's here's Jesus. And he was man but also God. And he was the son of God. And he was God in the flesh. He was both God and man, and they rejected him, and and they rejected Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name on earth, okay? People called him Jesus. Christ is a title, means anointed of God, being he is God. And if you go, the Gospel of John, we're not going to look at a verse on this, but the Gospel of John, but really the epistle of 1 John. Those verses talk a lot about how Jesus is the Christ, and the people who aren't believers are rejecting the fact that he is the Christ. You look at those pages time after time, you read that in 1 John, and also, of course, in the Gospel of John. And, and again, one of the main purposes of, of the Gospel of John is for people to realize that he was God, that Jesus was God, and there's so many different ways that we see Jesus trying to prove himself to the people, but like I can say... In general, reject them. I mean, here is Jesus. He did all these amazing miracles, whether it's feeding the 5,000 or raising somebody from the dead. I mean, amazing things he did. He was, he was the best teacher, perfect teacher. He never said any wrong word. Every word was right. And he perfectly loved everybody all the time. Perfect teacher, perfect love, amazing miracles. Jesus told the people he was God. And he lived like God because he was God. Right? We understand that. And they still rejected him. I'm not going to go here, but if you see in your outline, there's the references. The last verse or two of of both John 20, which is the second last last chapter in John, and John 21, the last chapter, both talk about Jesus doing all these amazing things, and they still rejected him. So that's the point. Here's God and man and, and really part of the gospel or understand the gospel, is you have to believe that Jesus is a man and also God. And what we see in the gospels is this rejection of Jesus in that way. At the end of his life, many of his own people, you know the story, you go to Luke 23, Matthew 26 or 7. Many of his own people, they, they rejected him. They said, crucify him, crucify him. His own people, majority, wanted them dead. They wanted them killed. And that's what happened. That's what happened. But he was more than just a man. We know that. And with that then, Jesus had to have a body so he could live like a man. And like all men then, he was tempted to sin. But the big difference, and you all know this, the big difference between Jesus and us is what? (laughs) He didn't sin. We do sin. We all understand that. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2, 17 and 18. Great verses that talk about the purpose, one of the purposes of Christ on earth here. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. Verse 17, it says, Therefore he had to be made like us, his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was was tempted, and that which he has suffered, he is also able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So here's Jesus. And we understand he didn't just come to this earth as a baby, then die for our sins, right? He didn't come when he was 33 and just die for our sins. He came to live a full life. He came to live like we lived and to go through all the kinds of things, not every single exact thing a person would do, but all the kinds of things that we went through. As so you think about your life, you think about things that are hard sometimes, you're tempted this way, whatever, Jesus went through it. Not the exact same thing, but that kind of thing that you go through. Difficulties and struggles and temptations and stuff. Okay, that's, that's what happened. Yet he never, he never, ever sinned. That's what we know. That's what we realized. And so there he went through life. He was Perfect. He was spotless, never sinned, so therefore, because he was perfect, he could be the perfect sacrifice, and he could be the spotless lamb, and he could then take our sins upon himself. That's what we understand. That's the importance of this incarnation, of him being Emmanuel, that he was with us, and he was like us, and he was tempted to sin, but he didn't sin, and because he didn't sin, then he could be the sacrifice. He could then die for our sins. That then relates to the next point. Jesus had to have a body so he could take our sins upon himself himself. And the main reason that Jesus came into the world was to take our sins away. I read that verse, or mentioned that verse, behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And that happened when, and I don't know how this happened, but that happened when God somehow amazingly, miraculously took all your sin, all the sins of people in the world, took sins upon himself. And then Jesus suffered and died. That is, he paid for the sins of people. He was punished by his Father for our sins when we should have been punished. We all understand that. We should have been punished, okay? What we're talking about then is called substitutionary atonement. That is, Christ was our substitute. He took our place. He died in the cross for us. Romans five eight. God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ became our substitute. Christ died for us. Christ took our place. That's what we understand. And so we know then that all those um, this atonement then. Well, let me mention atonement then means this is one way to simple way to define atonement. Atonement or this word propitiation means that God was completely and eternally satisfied with Christ's death and payment for our sins. That's what we have to understand here. And all those who believe in Christ and are forgiven of their sins, are made right with God, and will be in heaven forever and ever with God and Christ. Next point here is this. Jesus was God, and he was the lowest of men. Okay, very important. We're talking about Jesus being God and man. Now we're going to say an important truth here. He was the lowest of men. And, and, and so we know Jesus, here's God, and he's man, and he's a perfect man, but yet he was the lowest of men. And why would we say that? Let me just, a couple verses here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 52, 13 to 14. 52, 13 and 14. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were astonished at you, my people. So his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Just one example, physically, he was the lowest of men. Turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. And you could read more in Isaiah 53. It talks about how he was the lowest of men. But Philippians 2, 5-8. Here it says, "...have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men." Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, let's, let's go through this briefly. Why does this tell us that he was the lowest of men? First, Jesus existed in the form of God. So Jesus was God, and he lived like a man. Back to this ant analogy. Okay, you're a person. Well, I'm going to become an ant forever so I can live like the ants and so I can live with the ants. I mean that's pretty demeaning isn't it you tell your friends i'm going to be an aunt they said what's wrong with you here's jesus he is god and he lived like men that's what we're saying first point. point second point he became a bond servant bond servant means slave in the first century you had all these slaves okay the slaves mean that they were the lowest class the lowest class of people were the slaves the slaves they had no rights they had masters who told them what to do all the time, full-time. Not a 40-hour job, not 9 to 5, not 8 to 4, none of that stuff. No, we're talking full-time, 24-7. Jesus Christ was a slave, full-time, and he was a slave of everyone, not just a slave of, hey, for this one person, for everyone, He's a slave of every, every person. Third, Jesus died on the cross, and dying on the cross meant that you were a bad criminal, Right? A bad criminal. You really did something bad. You did something really wrong. And here the Jews looking at this Jesus. He's on this cross. Man, that's a low-class, good-for-nothing person. If there's Jesus on a cross, he must have done something wrong, done something really bad. Low-class, good-for-nothing, criminal, and they wanted to kill him. Okay, one more. One more point about why he's the lowest man. This is the most important. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. Jesus was bearing the sins from people all over the world and all of history. I don't know if that hundreds of millions, that billions, I don't know, It's a lot of people. And from God's point of view, Jesus was the most sinful person on the earth, right? Because he had all the sins of all the people who would ever believe in it, all of them. That's a lot of sin. Can you see why he was the lowest of men? All of sin. Not because of anything he did wrong. We know that. But because of things we did that were sinful and wrong. Thoughts, the words, and actions. I mean, you think about your own life. Don't take too long. This is a depressing point here. Think about all your sins. Thoughts? You sin a lot more in your thoughts than you do in your words and deeds. A ton. I mean, I'm not going to try to... You you shouldn't analyze it. You know, you think of your day, you're up for, let's say, 16 hours a day. What percentage of your thought life is not thinking about God? What percent of your thought life is not loving him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? And it's probably way over 50%. Maybe 60, 70, I mean, a lot. A lot of sins, okay? That's what we're saying here. But here's here's the verse. You know this verse. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, God made him, that is Christ, God made Christ who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. God made him who knew no sin be sin. Because people that debate this back and forth, well, he wasn't a sinner. No, he wasn't a sinner, but he was made sin. He took our sin Upon himself. He had to to die for our sins, to pay for it. He had to become sin. God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might then become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's what we're saying. If you're a Christian, then you know and you believe that Jesus was bearing all your sins upon himself. There's some, some religions teach, you know, well, you know, you know, you become a Christian and stuff, and so everything from that point when you're saved is forgiven then the next day you do more bad things. Well, you've got to keep confessing. No, no. If you're a true believer in Christ, all your sins from all time, past, present, and future are forgiven. That's what we understand. That is the truth. So in God's eyes, then, Jesus was a criminal. In God's eyes, Jesus was dying and paying for your sin. That's, that's what God saw. Here's Jesus, my son. He is dying and paying for the sins of that person. That's what God saw your sins and sins of all the people who would ever then believe in him turn to isaiah 53 these few verses isaiah says it so well this is one of the it it, is one of the best gospel passages in 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 the whole bible in my opinion isaiah 53 verses 4 to 6 i could read a lot more i'll read these three here surely our griefs he himself bore in our sorrows; he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray; each of us has turned his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Same thing we said in Second Corinthians five: God made him a new sin. God caused the iniquity of all. Who believe in him than to fall on him. That's what we have to understand. First Peter 3.18 says this Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. That's one of my favorite verses in the gospel. Christ died for sins once for all, once on the cross. The just for the unjust. There's that substitution so that he might bring us to God, that we might have this relationship, this eternal relationship with God himself. And so this is kind really of encouraging. Jesus is paying for all your sins. That's the only way then you can be forgiven, that you can be justified, that you can be made right with God, that you can have eternal life, that you can have, be a child of God, and that you can perfectly know The perfect love, joy, and peace of God. And so that then also, and finally, you can be perfected in body, soul, and spirit and live forever with God in Christ for all eternity. Amazing. So this is a Christmas message. I mean, this is one way. I mean, there's other angles, but this is the point I want to make here. The, The central part of this message is the incarnation. God became man. So then Emmanuel to live with us. That's what we understand. That is specifically then Jesus Christ became a man to live with us. And next week then we'll talk more about this. But I want to just finish with looking at Luke 1 here 26 to 33. This talks about different aspects of Christ's birth and purpose for being here. And when you read that it's obvious. Well, I'm going to read it real quick. When you when we read this, it's obvious. It's not just about the baby Jesus. In a second, most of this world is talking about the baby Jesus. Okay, you'll see. It's much more than that. Luke chapter one verse twenty six. Here, twenty six thirty three. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and coming in, the, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed to the statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call, name him Jesus. Now, again, I'm trying to think, what is she thinking as we go through this? Jesus, well, Jesus... It's a word from Yahweh, it means one who saves. He'll be great, which is a complete understatement. But what else can you say? He'll be great, he'll be the greatest man ever. He'll be called the Son of the Most High, a term that people knew back then. Hey, that Son of the Most High, that Most High is God. This is the Son of God. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. They understood. They understood 2 Samuel 7, Psalm 89, other verse, Hey, this. Descendant of David is going to be the king, and so many Jews back in that first century were expecting Christ at that time to reign. Then it says he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So that's a little bit of the gospel message right there. But it talks about the entirety of it from his birth clear up to his eternal reign over this world and over our lives as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We bless you for your great love and kindness to each one of us here, and we hear this truth and truth about the Lord Jesus, you coming down to be this, What it says you humbled yourself and you greatly humbled yourself, Philippians chapter 2, of wanting to divest yourself of all this Godhead, not completely, you didn't divest yourself, but you live, live as a man and went through the things that we did. So we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you came here as both God and man, Then you did what you did and lived for us in this earth, and then you died for us, paid the penalty for our sin, and we will then see you again. We look forward to that, I really look forward to that. And for all of us, we know, and for some of us here who are closer to our death than our birth, we realize it won't be that long. And might we look forward to that, might we look forward to that day when we will be with you in heaven, we will see you forever, says to live is Christ and to die is gain. We should be thankful that we can die and leave this earth and leave leave this body. All of us here understand a body is frail, frail and hurting, but yet we are going to be with you forever in a brand new body. We thank you so much for that. But I just thank you again, Lord, for your great love for us here. Thank you for the truth you give us i pray this season we would be reflecting more on these truths about christmas and the real meaning of christmas that you lead us in our times with people and family and friends god thank you so much that you give us a church family here this is what's most important having a church family sometimes your own physical families aren't perfect and we have difficulties but we thank you that we can be with each other here thank you for the believers you put in our lives we bless you for that but just lead us now guide us thank you for this day thank you for bethel and their church Lord and, and just uh, just commit them to you but just again bless you for all these things. now we pray this in Jesus name. Amen.